30 seconds, reality as you know it will cease to exist. In its place, you will find a new dimension, identical to the one you left behind, only slightly better. Take a deep breath and open your mind to the magic within you. This is no ordinary podcast. This podcast is with Richard When I was just a young wizard, I moved across the country to live in Olympia, Washington. Olympia is a lovely little oasis of a town sitting at the end of the South Puget Sound. Despite its small size, Olympia boasts an incredible countercultural history, having given birth in the early 1990s to the Riot Girl movement. Soundtracked by bands like Bikini Kill and Bratmobile and cataloged in countless teen fanzines, the raw ferocity of Riot Girl injected new energy into feminism, helping fight back against the dowdy Killjoy label its detractors had gleefully given it throughout Reagan's crusade to return America to 1950s family values. Although Riot Girl had long since diffused into the mainstream by the time I arrived in Olympia, its fierce energy still permeated everything. It was radically unradical, a default mode that I learned to live and breathe as a natural part of everyday life, not a secondary afterthought that required special consideration. And I think part of that effect was the attitude and aura that surrounded it. Feminism was fucking cool. It was there that I first started hearing friends talk about Bust Magazine. Oh, I read this thing in Bust the other day, was the opening refrain of many a conversation. Bust, like feminism, was cool. It tracked the ideas and artists and fearless women who are making things happen in the world. And if you wanted to keep up with those happenings, well, you should probably be reading Bust. My guest today, Lori Hensel, founded Bust in 1993 alongside Debbie Stoller and Marcel Karp. For over two decades, she served as the magazine's art director, helping ladies look good while not focusing on women's looks. When embedded in an ideology, alternate ideas appear strange and alien. And what I find so fascinating about Bust is that for all the rebellious energy that flows from its pages, it's really just what a magazine for women would look like if those magazines weren't secretly trying to subjugate them. Cosmo! <coughs> Anyways, enough of this wizard's rambling. Let's hear from an actual woman as Lori Hensel teaches us how to make feminism cool. All right, Lori, welcome to Ritual Space. Thank you for having me. It's my pleasure. What's our magic word going to be? Okay, our magic word is supernatural. Oh, that's a good one. It's a so, favorite On the count of three. Okay. One, two, three. Supernatural. Supernatural. <laughs> the birds are with us. The birds are in on the vibration. I like it. They like that, that word. So what made you come up with supernatural? It's one of my favorite phrases because I feel like it has two meanings. Like supernatural sort of meaning magical things unknown but i also like to think of it as as almost like two words like supernatural like mm -hmm. nature is really super yes like anything in nature is just amazing to me so i like um to think about things as being supernatural 
Yeah, I think that's one of my favorite ways to talk about magic as well, is that it doesn't have to be the things that look like magic, like right. a, a pentagram and a skull yeah. and, you know, a candle, but there's magic all around us and we can appreciate that sure. format of it. For sure, yeah. So there's a lot to talk about with you, so let's just get into it. You are one of the founders of Bust Magazine, and yes. you have been supporting writers and chronicling the feminist revolution since... The early 90s. Mm-hmm. 1993. Um, I met, I'm a graphic designer by trade, and I met um, two women at the job that I had, which was at Nickelodeon in lovely midtown Manhattan. Um, I was, it was kind of a shit job. I was just like pasting orange logos on things, and it wasn't very fulfilling. And I always wanted to do a magazine, and I met these two women, Debbie Stoller and Marcel Karp, and they were like, we're thinking about doing this thing called a zine. Do you know anything about that? And I was like, yeah, like, you know, I, I could I could do that. Like, you know, I know how to do that. Paste I know how to cut. Candles. I know how to paste. Yeah. yeah. And um, they were sort of, they asked all their friends to write essays, and most of the, it was all personal stuff. And um, I helped with some of the... The first issue, I actually just did some drawings and some some layouts. It was another girl named uh, Michelle Willems, who was like the art director of it. We all worked at Nickelodeon. And um, Debbie and Marcel Xeroxed and stapled the like 100 copies, or maybe it was 500 copies at work at night. (laughs) And we put them out in the world. There used to be a zine store down on on the Lower East Side that was super cool. It was just like art books and zines wow and we brought it there and um we said can you sell this you know i think we charged a dollar or something and he said well you know you know i'll sell these for you but really like if you want to do this like you have to have it bound you know you can't just xerox the corners (laughs) it needs to be more like like a bound book so at that point um we had them out in the world, and, and we had put an address in in there, and we started to get letters from people we didn't know, because we gave them to our friends, sure. and, you know, everyone loved it and stuff, but started to get letters from people saying, like, wow, this is amazing, like, I, I, I've never read anything like this before, you guys are really, like, there's, you're touching me, you know, there's something here that is inspiring to, to me, and so we thought, like, well, let's do another one, and I did some research and found, a, a, like, a cheap printer, so... It was very gradual, and that, that was when they asked me if I wanted to, you know, be their art director. Yeah. Michelle wasn't available anymore. So it was just very slow, you know, those, you know, like I said, there wasn't computers. It was a lot of um, clip art, and um, yeah, it was, it was very, you know, something we did on the weekends and at night, it was after work. And how did it grow from those early zine roots into becoming something... That looks more like a recognizable magazine. Yeah. Well, from the get-go, we always wanted to be a real magazine. That was our dream. You know, we say, like, wow, imagine if we could do this for a living, for Mm -hmm. a job. And it was just like, that'll never happen. You know, but it was like a seed that we put out there. And so every issue, um, we would sell a couple copies, sell some copies. We started to sell little ads to, like, record companies and stuff. And we would take that money and put it into the next issue and make it a tiny bit, you know, teeny bit fancier, like add one more color. Slightly better. <laughs> Slightly better, yeah. So the next issue was on newsprint. Um, it was black and white on newsprint with one color, magenta. 
you know? Yeah. And they were like, maybe we for the next issue we can add another color. We can spring for another <laughs> yeah. color. So the then the third issue had it had four color cover, but still on newsprint, and the inside was black and white. It looked pretty bad actually. Four color on newsprint at the time was just like mud. Yeah. Know? So it was like a you know, trial and error, and um, you know, eventually we slowly were able to upgrade the paper, and you know we. We got in, started to get into like more stores. It was mostly us bringing them places, you know. Then we got a distributor. Probably in the late '90s, we had a distributor, and and that was like, whoa! If you print, you know, ten thousand copies, we'll put them out in all these stores. And we were like, whoa! You know, like, what? <laughs> that's a big number. <laughs> yeah. So um, we didn't make any money. Nobody nobody got paid. It was all volunteer work, and it was a labor of love for a really long time. And then um, it just started to grow, you know, we started to get more ads and more subscribers. And um, at this point, we were only putting it out. Um, the joke is we were tri-quarterly. We tried to be quarterly. <laughs> it was really more like two times a year, yeah. maybe three. And then in the, um, the late 90s, I met these guys that... Um, were internet guys and the internet was just sort of starting to blow up right. and um, they had a company called Razorfish and they started um, a content company and they actually purchased Bust which was kind of amazing so we went from making no money doing this in our apartment to having a fancy office and getting paid and getting insurance like you know within a few like that happened in 2000 yeah 1999 was when we started talking to them and that was very exciting we were able to like you know have well we were getting paid to do you're able to do it as a job yeah and it was just sort of you know that was incredible we had an ad salesperson and you know we were able to hire a couple people so that was pretty cool and we did that for a few years and then um the internet bubble was starting to burst around then and then 9-11 happened and well, actually, I have to go back up a little bit. We were in 2001. They were starting to think about getting um, investors for us. And they were, um, we got a big article in the New York Times. We were interviewed by the New York Times. And we were, Debbie and I were on the front page of the business section, like the whole top wow. of this thing. Above the fold. Above the fold, yes. Yeah. And um, it was an article about feminist publishing, and we were like the main thing in that, and it was kind of a big deal. Well, the only problem with that was the date. That came out on September 10th, 2001. Okay, so we were like, woohoo, we had a big party that night. We're like, tomorrow, the phones are going to be ringing off the hook. You know, everyone's going to want to invest in bus, and we're going to take over the world. And then the next day, you know, it's a wah, different wah. different news story. Yeah, it was like holy shit. I mean, I remember like going to the Starbucks near my work and being like, "Did you see?" Like talking to the Starbucks, we're like, "Hey, look, we're in the New York Times." And also, something really fucked up is happening out there. Like, yeah. I don't know what's happening, but I think a plane might have hit. Um, you know, or there was. I actually thought there was a bomb, and mm-hmm. you know, I thought that there had been a bombing. Nobody really knew. Then we started to figure it all out. It was very scary and very sad. So that company shut down soon afterwards. And Debbie and I were kind of like, at this point, uh, Marcel had left. Mm -hmm. And it was just the two of us, plus, you know, a small staff. 
and um, we were like, what, the, what are we going to do? Like, you know, we don't, we don't own the name. You know, we have nothing. And we were, everybody was fired from the company because it shut down. And we were like, shit, like we just, you know, lost this thing. And we had to decide, do we want to try to get it back and start all over again? Or should we just let it go and move on? And we literally were, could not make that decision. Debbie and I were just like, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Plus it was a, it was a terrible time. I mean, New York was very, I don't know if you, I don't think you were here then, but like, no, yeah, no. it was, it was like a, it was very depressing. Um, it, everybody was like still really jittery and scared, you know, and it smelled bad. I mean, it was like, it was terrible. Like you could smell like the smell of that yeah. for, for like at least a few months. So we were just kind of like, I don't know, you know, we didn't know what to do. So I was like, I'm going to go to a tarot reader and just because, you know, why not? Yeah. So I went to see this a friend of a friend knew someone and she was this older woman. I don't even know her name, but um, it was a specific ask. And she was like, you definitely have some should take, you know, do this. Yeah. You, know, you have a tie with this woman that who's your business partner. That other guy who you're supposed to get the company from, like, that's going to be a blip. Like you're not even like this thing that's causing you so much angst is, is going to be nothing. And this project is going to go on for a long time with success. So I was like, all right, we got our sign. <laughs> so we were able to actually buy the company back for the name, just the name and the subscriber list for a very small amount. And we started all over again. We called our interns. We said, Hey, we're thinking of, you know, doing this again you want to come help us and they said sure Never, no one had jobs i yeah. mean there's literally nothing happening you know downtown um and um we started up again and we had a benefit party to because we had, we had to raise like twenty thousand dollars to print this thing again because right. our subscribers were kind of like you know waiting for it and we put out a call we said like hey we're, you know we're thinking this is what happened and everybody was super um enthusiastic and they sent us checks for like ten dollars in the mail and they're like come back boss you know which was really nice and um we had a we had this big party um we asked our friends bands to play we had um john spencer's blues explosion and the yeah yeah yeahs before they were kind of i mean they were sort of just starting to become like a big band then and we raised twenty thousand dollars and then we just started back up again we were back in my apartment kind of like you know, bus to electric boogaloo. You know, it's just like, <laughs> okay, here we go again. We're not making any money again, but we love it. And, you know, we're, we're this message that we have that like feminism is important, still needed to. That people care. That, that people care. Yeah. And it, you know, it was something that made people feel good. Like people tell us all the time, like bus changed my life or, you know, Bust is a friend to me, you know, that I can always turn to. So, What do you think it is about the magazine that does that for people? Um, I don't know. It's kind of hard for me to be super objective about it because I'm so... It'd you be know, very subjective. Yeah. it's. Um, I, I guess people, they like how it makes them feel. I think when, when if you compare it to other magazines, most women's magazines aren't set up to make you feel good. They're actually set up to make you feel bad because yeah. they want you to buy the products and even though we do have some advertising we're not pushing improvement you know we're right. just kind of saying like 
women are great. Here's some cool women that are doing amazing things with their brains, you know, and um, I think we offer like, it's an, it just seems like, I don't even want to say a safe space because I, I know that's like a catchphrase now. It seems a little corny to me, but I think it is sort of a safe space for a lot of women. And it's a place where they know like they, they're not going to get fed a lot of bullshit. Well, I think that's what's so interesting about um, the, the face of like women focused or feminist media mm-hmm. is that it's often defined by the absence of the problematic stuff because that's just what you see in the normal culture that right. everyone's so used to. Right. So the idea of a women's magazine being how to find a guy, mm-hmm. how to please a guy in bed, yeah. how to lose weight, right. 10 new diets that will help you lose weight and find right. a guy. Yeah. That's the norm. Yeah. And then to have something where like, here's a musician and an actress right. that are talking about the yeah. work that they do. It has nothing to do with right. um, what's wrong with you and yeah. how we've got that solution ready to go. Yeah. I also think the the group of us at Bust, which is very small, mm-hmm. me, Debbie, Callie, Emily, and Meredith, like we're, we have a specific taste mm-hmm. and we tend to gravitate towards the different, you know, subjects and, and I should mention Lisa too. She's, she's our West Coast editor. Um, I just, I think that our, the things that we are interested in um, are, they're pretty cool. And I think that, you know, we, they're not the mainstream things Mm -hmm. that other people are writing about. Like we tend to kind of get on things a little early or, you know, find, we find stuff that not everybody knows about yet. And usually those things are pretty exciting and, so people like it for that, I guess. In the early days, what did you feel like was um, the driving force behind it? What was the idea the, or the ethos that? Um, well, it's always been about, um, I feel like, making feminism cool, right? Like, it's okay to say you're a feminist. Like, feminist is not a dirty word. All it means, it's a simple thing. It just means that men and women should have equal rights. It's, that's the simple, simplest definition. And I think it's... Um, you know, especially back then in the 90s, it was like, oh, God, don't, you know, nobody would ever call themselves a feminist. Now it's kind of popular. So it was different back then. But um, seems like it's almost kind of, I mean, it, it always is going up and down, but it seems yeah. like there was, yeah, like the third wave yeah. had to rebrand itself. Yeah. And then now there's a similar, I don't know if there's quite a fourth wave brewing, but there there's is, a lot of this yeah. backlash happening again yeah. and yeah. social justice warriors and all yeah. these various terms that are yeah. used to. Put, put the no fun label around feminism. Right, right. I will say in the early days, our first maybe 10 years, it was a lot about sex. Mm. And it was, we we talked a lot about sex. We talked a lot about women's orgasms and making sure that women had orgasms. And we wrote about vibrators and sex and erotica because we found that, um, you know, when we started us, we were in our 20s, late 20s. But um, a lot of women weren't, even getting off you know they just thought like sex meant do the thing to make the guy finish and you know like 10 tips to please your man yes and so we were like all about like wait a minute (laughs) you need to make sure that you're also getting taken care of so and so we wrote a lot about that and then in the two in like the later nights of the two in the early 2000s debbie started to get interested in um, what we call women's work, which was at, for her, it was knitting. Mm-hmm. She really, she's like a fucking champion knitter. And yeah. she started writing books about knitting and like having these 
stitch and bitch um, meetings where everybody would get together and knit and just talk. And it was, um, that was sort of like the era of us getting into crafts and um, not just knitting, but like and making things, um, even housework, yeah. um, cooking, things that women did traditionally, that women do traditionally, taking care of children, whatever, that were that are sort of looked down upon in the culture. Like, oh, that's just women's work, you know? Cleaning the house, like, oh, whatever. Like, it's actually fucking hard, you know? Yeah. Like, Martha Stewart is no joke. Like, she's, she's a badass, yeah. you know? Like, so that was sort of the dawning of, like, us starting the whole craft thing. And um, for us, you know, writing about crafts, um, giving, writing articles about how to make how to do certain things and we that was when also we started doing the craftaculars which is like we found that there was a lot of women sort of starting their own businesses at home whether it was making jewelry or candles or whatever you mm-hmm. know and so we thought oh wouldn't it be cool to kind of get them in one space together so then we started doing the craft fairs and so crafting was like you know that was no, no, that went on for a while. It's still a big part of Bust. And then I guess now, now it's sort of changing. Well, politically, obviously, we're, we're more political than ever, ever since the last election. Yeah. And everybody is just like, what? I think, I think, I think everything got yeah. political at that yeah. point. Yeah. And so that was the sort of the start of that. And, and I think also talking about, you know, like a lot of the witchy stuff too is, is something that we're, yeah, I was going to ask about well, that because yeah. that seems like I've I've seen the craftacular lineup the last couple of years yeah. just continue to skew in that direction. Yeah, yeah. And I'm just interested to hear your thoughts as someone who has their finger on the pulse of I mean, when did you feel like this stuff started the trend and what do you think might be driving it? Uh, I don't know. I have different theories than Debbie. Um, <laughs> I mean, for me, it's something I've always been interested in, like. Um, I remember getting a, this book in the 80s called Creative Visualization by Shakti Gawain. Mm-hmm. Do you know that mm-hmm. book? It's an yeah. amazing book. So, like, it's something that's always kind of been in my life. But um, I, it, I just feel like the, in the last maybe four years, it, I, I'm excited that, like, young people are into it. You know? Yeah. Because <laughs> for a long time it was just, um, you know, old hippies. Right. You know, not that I love old hippies, but like it wasn't, you know, young people weren't talking about it. And the new age book books. fair was not the cool place to be. No. You know, yeah. It's... Um, I would say people like, um, I mean, I think Instagram had a lot to do with it, mm-hmm. which is weird, but probably the case. Maybe people are returning to it. Because, I mean, just because they feel like they, they need, they need something, you know, they need something extra. I mean, I don't know. I guess it could be a backlash of like how, yeah, I don't know, people feeling helpless. With well, it's interesting with that, that um, continuum that you just laid out where it goes from the craft movement having mm-hmm. this resurgence, which mm-hmm. I remember being in a college class that we were talking about feminism and observing mm-hmm. that, mm-hmm. how it was, it's, it's almost like the what is it like better homes and gardens and yeah. Betty Crocker stuff yeah. of like the 1950s. Like you've got to be the perfect housewife right. and then saying, we're going to take those same activities, right. but we're going to liberate them from right. these constraints in this direction yes. and do them as an art form and embrace them. And I feel like it happened in lockstep with the organic food movement. And it's a yep. way to say, 
Yeah. I don't have to just buy everything. Right. And then I think once you have all of those skills of, well, I know how to make all this different stuff, mm-hmm. then witchcraft especially is, is a lot more um, craft-oriented. Right. And there's right. the oils and the candles right. and the, the different recipes, and it has a similarity mm-hmm. to it. Yeah. So it's almost like taking that same set of skills and then imbuing it mm-hmm. with another level of meaning and spirituality. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So then um, going into the, the 2000s, how do you feel like the changes in publishing and moving into the online space have? Ugh. Um, ugh. ugh. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I mean, the internet killed, yeah. killed magazines. Mm-hmm. So, you know, in, in ways, of course, the internet is amazing because it connects us with so many people. But in other ways, it kind of sucks because now we're all addicted to our phones. But, um, oh, yeah. No, I mean, it was... It was completely different. Um, everything is super sped up now, you know. Um, you just get your news like in two seconds. And, yeah. You know, I don't know. It was it was very different. The the whole way that the production process worked and um, it was just a lot slower. Um, yeah, I don't know. I I've, I'm, I you know I miss. I miss those the days of no internet in some ways, but you know what can you do? I don't know. Forever ago, I was at some craft event and someone brought a whole bunch of gay porn for people to like cut mm-hmm. up and craft with. Yeah, and it was all of these Blue Boy magazines from mm-hmm. the the seventies, mm-hmm. maybe early eighties. And it was so fascinating because it was like the Playboy of gay culture, right? And you could just see how this community and culture existed through the magazine right there was ads for pornography in the back that you had to like send off to get a catalog yeah. because that's yeah. how you're going to get pornography in your yeah. small yeah. midwest town and then there was personal ads mm-hmm. and then there's reviews of the different books and you can right. see the conversations are happening oh the yeah. new larry kramer book let's right. what do we think about it yeah. and there's travel writers reviewing destinations mm-hmm. and the advertisements and everything and it was just this whole artifact that i think is very hard to have the same thing looking at an archived web page. It right. just doesn't... Yeah, no, that was how you kind of found your people, you mm-hmm. know? Whether it was like a music magazine or a bust or whatever, like you... That's how you connected with people, you know? Mm-hmm. through And writing letters and, um, you know, there was... And there were magazines for, for everything. Like, I remember any kind of niche or kink or whatever that existed there was a magazine for yeah <laughs> i remember there was a magazine called something like hair suit today and it was just hairy women wow it was amazing <laughs> it was like <laughs> photographs of hairy women. it was like a porn for you know that was your thing that was a magazine <laughs> i used to work at a at a porn store in portland oregon and we had it's not nylon because nylon's a regular magazine mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but it was something like that and it was all about the latex fetish scene oh, really? and yeah. It was all just photos from their really fancy balls in Europe, where it's like, you know, Miss Plastic 2001 (laughs) and in Amsterdam and just people in these insanely expensive uh, full body latex costumes. Yeah, that's cool. I mean, maybe that I'm sure that exists on the Internet, too, but there's just something nice about holding holding paper. I don't know. You know, I have obviously have mixed feelings about it. I don't like to cut down trees. Yeah, there's that, but <laughs> you know, it's just um, 
it's completely different. You know, magazines were a product that you sold, and the internet is, you know, I do think that things are going to change on the internet. I think that there's going to be more subscription based mm-hmm. publications. There's just no way to support it with just ads. Yeah. You know, they're going to have to figure that out. Um, and I think, I think, obviously, I think that's going to be the next move. I mean, some newspapers do it, some magazines are already starting to do it, having a paywall. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's weird. What are some of the favorite stories that you've had if you had a, a few highlights from the. Ooh. Well, you know, I'm the art director. So yeah. my job is make, getting the images for the stories. Um, so. Um, well, my, the Erica Badu thing was amazing. Can you tell me about that? Yes. She was on our cover for our 25th anniversary. We've, it's someone that we've loved forever, and I guess we had asked for her in the past, and for some reason she said yes this time, and, and it was we were super honored. So I, I think that interview came out really well. The writer on that is this woman named Jamia Wilson, who I adore, and she did such a good job. And I went to Erica Badu's house for the photo shoot, so I hung out with her for a day, and it was, like, super amazing. She's a, Talk about magical people. Right. I mean, she's, like, something else. Living she's it. supernatural. Yeah. yeah. Okay? <laughs> um, I, I just love her. So that was, like, a, like an amazing day. She's super... She's just so gracious and, and, and kind and loving. And um, I guess highlights for me is every now and then... I don't write very much, but every now and then if there's someone that I really admire, I say I'd like to interview this person so I've interviewed Iggy Pop a couple times and those are always really fun um, I love him I interviewed him many years ago when he lived at the Cristadora in, in Tompkins Square Park next to Tompkins Square Park and that was a pretty fun interview he's very open mm-hmm. um, I was thinking of putting that up online because I don't think it's online but um, that was a fun interview and um, I interviewed Marianne Faithful once. That was a good one. She, she, she kind of made fun of me. I asked a dumb question. I said, "Cause the Stones were in town or something," yeah. and which you know was weird. And I was like, "Oh, are you going to go see the Stones tomorrow night?" And she said, "Don't be stupid. If I wanted to see the Stones, I would just have them come over to my living room." And I was kind of like, whoa, like, she just called me stupid. But like she was kind of, and then she kind of laughed afterwards and she said, actually, I might go to the shop. <laughs> I was like, wow. <laughs> and then she was very sweet. She gave me a ride in her limo back to my house, which was kind of nice. So oh, I think she was great. kind of, she felt bad that I, that she embarrassed me, but I yeah. didn't care. It was an honor to be called stupid for me. <laughs> um, so yes, yeah, some, you know, there's, I like doing stuff like that occasionally. I don't do it very often. What are, um, this is another hard question, okay. um, but what do you think are the challenges facing feminism right now, and what do you think are the things that are the most exciting that you see kind of coming up and bubbling to the surface? Hmm. Hmm. Challenges. I guess, um, I guess like how you had mentioned before, you know, that there is a backlash, um, I think we have to be careful what, you know, I, I'm, I'm from an older generation, so the younger people have more of like a zero tolerance for certain things. And I'm, I'm kind of, 
I'm not sure if that is always effective. I don't know. I don't mm-hmm. know. Like I, I kind of I'm excited that the young people are like super riled up about things. That's good and that's really important. Um, but I'm just trying to think of an example that I can give. Them. I can't think of anything off the top of my head. But like sometimes you have to. Like, for instance, like, cancel culture, I feel mm-hmm. like, is problematic. Like, you can't cancel everybody because yeah. they do something bad. Like, humans suck, okay? They make mistakes. They, they, they can be evil. Um, sometimes you have to forgive them. Yeah. And they can be, there's, a, there's a lot of shades before evil where they can just right. be stupid or right. misguided. Or... Yes, we all make bad mistakes. But on the other hand, like, you know, in case of in the case of someone that's really like a terrible person, you know, obviously like Harvey Weinstein needs to be needed to be canceled, yeah. you know. But there's other people that maybe maybe you have to give them a chance. Like give them a chance to become better people. Mm-hmm. That's all I'm gonna say. <laughs> yeah. And we get you know, we get a lot of and you know, it's people are very passionate about that and they 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 get upset if you you know sometimes i'm in the office i'm like well you know give them a chance or you know maybe you know that that was terrible but like are we going to cancel them and now i get in trouble yeah why are you saying it i don't know well i think forgiveness and mercy are values that used to be a part of the conversation that we've lost and and this idea of justice i think Mm -hmm. that's also a part of it is that justice has to have some element of mercy and forgiveness to it. Yeah. It's tricky. It's tricky. Yeah. Especially when everything feels so heightened mm-hmm. where, yeah. you know, like, how do you have a conversation about something that's complicated mm-hmm. when there's no margin of error of, mm-hmm. of, it feels like if you say the wrong thing that you're going to get canceled. Right. Yeah. And people say that about us all the time. They get mad at us for things and, you know, um, we had... We used to have crazy Roseanne used to write for us. Now yeah. she's she's gone off the rails. Like, but right. and she said some shit that was bad, and they were like, "Bust is canceled." And we we're like, "Whoa, wait a minute!" Like, she said that thing out in the world. Like, she didn't write that. She didn't say that in our magazine. Like, yeah. we can't control what other people are doing out in the world. I mean, we fired her, or whatever. But for a long time, people, you know, on Twitter, people were saying like cancel my subscription like literally we are canceled you know because we were associated with someone who did something bad yeah and it's like well that's that person you know it's not us is that attitude new or has that been has there been versions of that from the beginning it's probably not i don't know it does seem more it does seem new to me it seems more heightened and i guess it's just because of the internet where you can literally talk to anybody in the real time yeah. on the planet, you know, through, through. It's easier media. to send that tweet than it would have been yeah, to, to write, write the letter, the letter yeah. and then yeah. no one else. I think that's, I guess that's a really interesting aspect to it is yeah. that if you write that letter, mm-hmm. unless bust publishes it, right, right. no one else can see it. Right. Whereas on the internet, everyone can right. see your tweet and right. it's a, it's a, a it's performative. On. Right. It's a pile on. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I guess in some ways it's good because it calls people on their shit. Yeah. You know, and in the case of Roseanne, you know, we were like, okay, we have to fire this person because she's out there in the world saying terrible shit. You yeah. Know? And we did and whatever, you know, but like, so things like that. 
um, you know, you know, you you get defensive because you're like, wait a minute, you're canceling the you know the entire thing because of one small thing. Like, I never understand that. Like sometimes people will say, I didn't like that article that you wrote about X Y Z. I love you, bust, but yeah. I didn't like that article, so I'm gonna stop reading you. I was like, okay. It's a really high but you bar. You loved all that other stuff. Yeah. <laughs> but you know, that's fine. That's like, you know, people can do that. Which is a weird. You can't please everybody. Which is a weird, you know, like one of the things I think, as I've grown, I've learned more about the word love. Is love mm-hmm. means not throwing something out because mm-hmm. there's that one flaw. Like right. if you're trying to date someone and right. you want them to be perfect, that's a really high, yeah. like hard right. standard to right. live up to. Yeah. And I think love is often about transcending that and mm-hmm. saying, "Oh, you do the most annoying thing in the world right. that sets my teeth on edge, right. but I still love you, right. and I love you not in spite of that, but because of that, right. partially." Right. Yeah, I think that. Well, what's hard is is to have these conversations um, on the internet mm-hmm. because the way that you t- text something or type it on Twitter, um, you know, you lose all the nuance. Yeah. Like you know, and and I feel like. If you want to call somebody on their shit and you do it in person, maybe it's easier, you know, than doing it. I mean, well, it's not easier um, because I think people are often afraid to do that yeah. in person. But I think you'll get better results. I think you'll get a better result for sure. <laughs> if you can do it face to face or, you know, in not such a aggro manner. Yeah. You know, I don't know. You've got to kill them with kindness. Yeah. On the flip side, what is it that you're excited about? What do you see that gives you hope and optimism for the the new young ladies? Mm. Well, I, I I love the this focus and attention on spirituality and witchcraft and and meditation. I think that's like fantastic. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I'm glad that that's popular now. I think it's it's a positive thing for us. Um, yeah, I would say that's probably the thing I'm most excited about. Hopefully we'll get some more women in government yeah. in the next round. Yeah. That's good. I'm glad that, you know, women, you know, as much as Trump is so terrible, it was like a huge wake-up call for everybody. And, you know, now there's more women in, in Congress than ever. Yeah. So that's exciting. Because I think that will, I think that does make, you know, women... If we could get to 50-50, you know, that would be super dope. <laughs> and it's it's so absurd that we're not anywhere close yeah, to that. that yeah. There's, yeah. This whole idea that, like, we, we solved it, you know. Right. It's, it's just wake up and look around, yeah. and there's so many disparities. Yeah. Um, on the subject of spirituality and meditation mm-hmm. and the occult, mm-hmm. uh Let's talk about a spell that the mm. listeners at home can do to yeah. embody some of these ideas. Mm-hmm. Maybe just like embracing our imperfections. I like that. And loving ourselves more. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's not bad, right? Yeah. That could work. I like that. Yeah. So what's like? Let's let's leverage your your talents as um, a crafter and an okay. art and designer. What's a little craft art design task that we could give people to help them oh. embrace their imperfections or maybe the, even the imperfections of others? I feel like there should be plants involved with this spell. Okay. Because you want to like kind of 
grow something. Grow something. Like grow this feeling of, um, I guess, love for yourself. So maybe would it be weird to draw a picture of yourself and then bury it in a plant near a plant? I don't know. I love it. You know, somehow like, yeah. in the ground. Yeah. Make a little drawing of yourself and then yeah. put it in some know. soil. And... Or a message. You could send. You could write, message. also write a message. I like the drawing yourself. idea. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. Um, I've never made a spell. I mean, I've never, like, thought of making my own spell before. Well, I think we part of the the spell casting is that we commit to doing it as well so okay. can we commit oh, to okay. we'll, we'll oh, do yeah. a drawing of ourselves yeah. i think we should also put a word on it of like a message that you need personal message to yourself that you're trying to grow yes. and grow into yeah i love something this. about yourself that you want to make more fruitful or more you know I've been meaning to set up a little herb garden on my windowsill anyway, so mm-hmm. this is this is a perfectly timed message yeah. for me to get off my butt and go ahead and do that. Yeah, it's and, spring, so... Right, and grow seeds. my green thumb. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Lori, thank you so much. Welcome. For more of Lori's work, visit bust.com or pick up the print edition of Bust wherever magazines are sold. And for more wizardry, you can become a participant of this podcast as a ritual at patreon.com slash this podcast is a ritual helping our magic grow and making wizardry as cool as feminism so we can make the 21st century a better place for women for wizards for women wizards for wizard women for lizard women for lizard wizards and for anybody else that wants to get on our cool magical train into the unknown Next stop, the next episode. Until then, I'm Devin Person. I believe in you, your magic is real, and your feminism better be too.